This is Femi Kuti, and you are listening to NYC Radio Live. How you doing, folks? This is David Ellenberg, and you're listening to NYC Radio Live. My guest is Noel Scott of the Sun Ra Orchestra. We had an unbelievable conversation. Um, he himself uh, listened back and remarked uh, that he was in a candid mood. <laughs> and uh, it was really uh, interesting circumstances. We were both backstage at the um, Opus One Festival. I was playing with Brooklyn Raga Massive, and we had the honor for opening for the Sun Ra Orchestra which Noel has been a member of since 1979. Um, and he gives us the real scoop. But after we shared this, uh, after I shared this episode, he, you know, remarked on, on uh, laughing about how candid he was, but he thought the music should have been Sunrise music. And I didn't want to add myself to the list of the countless kind of pirates over the years who have used Sun Ra's music without uh, rights. So, um, so I was lucky to get this awesome track from Noel Scott's group. Um, and it tells his story a little bit and the great Marshall Allen is, is playing as well. So that's awesome. And um, if you get this in time, you can catch the Sunra Orchestra. They're playing uh, Saturday, the 16th of December, no, in 2017, at the New Blue Jazz Festival, along with a lot of great other acts. So, anyway, we're going to hear some music from the great Noel Scott and then a really nice, intimate conversation about his uh, lives and times with Sun Ra Orchestra. And to me, we're just so lucky. We're so lucky to to, um, live in these times where you can speak with someone who knew knew the giants who who walked the earth, you know? I believe in hundreds of years people will know who Duke Ellington is and who John Coltrane is um, and maybe Sun Ra. So um, here's the inside scoop. Here's some uh, music from Noel Scott. Enjoy. Why was I born to love you and you and you? Now, uh, the maestro here, he hails originally from Louisiana. I was born in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. I was raised in New York City, but I was raised in a very special part of New York City, a community called Harlem. You talking about Harlem? Yeah, we're talking about Harlem. 125th Street, 7th Avenue. The Schomburg Museum, Marcus Garvey Park, 
the Harlem YMCA, the bathhouse, which has one of the finest pools in New York City. You see, I was in Harlem when giants walked the earth. Muhammad Ali, the brown bomber, Joe Lewis, Sugar Ray Robinson, he used to own Small's Paradise. So did Melba Moore. One day I was walking down 125th Street, I ran right into Jesse Jackson. Adam Clayton Powell. The nurse and radio pioneer Alma Nomsa John had Alma John's talent workshop on 125th Street. Duke Ellington lived at 909 Edgecombe, overlooking what was then called Colonial Park. Since then, it became Jackie Robinson Park. Johnny Hartman lived on 145th Street. Me and Stanley Tarantino used to jam at the Blue Book on 145th Street. George Benson might slide into the Lickety Split on 138th Street. The Liberation Bookstore, Langston Hughes in County Cullen, sketched the music through poetry. Romare Baradin painted pictures of jazz. We're talking about shrines of an ancient time when giants walked the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Stacy on the piano.
Tito Fuente. Ray Barreto. Chocho Valdez. Jerry Gonzalez. Pucho. We talking about 116th Street. We talking about Spanish Harlem. Yo, take me to Spanish Harlem, Charlie.
What, what year did you start playing with, with Sonny? 19, July of 1979. 79. So at that time, was he playing some uh, electric keyboards and, and this kind of stuff? Of course. Yes, sir. Uh, as a matter of fact, at that time, he had a... He was in the midst of, uh, I guess, a five to ten year, maybe eight year residency at Variety Arts Recording Studio, where he just really just took, he just, just occupied the studio, like, say, from 10 a.m. to 4 a.m. <laughs> the, the owner, Warren, who was the owner, He'd be begging some of please, for the family, I have to go home. And um, he, he we, we produced about eight to ten albums. Um, Strange Celestial Road, Omniverse, UFO, Nuclear War, God is More Than Love Could Ever Be, um, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Fire Next Time, Fire Set, not Fire Next Time, that's James Ball one, a Fireside Chat with, with uh, Lucifer, and several other the other side of the sun and a couple of other uh, albums all done at Variety Art Studio. Uh, he auditioned me the day before um, at Warren Smith's Composer's Workshop at Studio Wiss. He came there, played piano, and told me, uh, if you want money, fame, or fortune, you don't want to work with my band. This is the creator's band, and I work for the creator. So again, if you want money, fame, or fortune, you don't want to work with me. At that time, I was young and idealistic, and what he was talking about was so outworldly. I already knew from listening to jazz at Silhouette and from uh, experiencing the raw performance at the Beacon Theater in, I think it was 1976, first time I saw the band and heard the band. And I knew it was my dream to play with Sun Ra and to be part of the orchestra. So it's cool. If I knew that so many people would get rich, other people would get rich. That had nothing to do with the creativity and the and the work and uh, the sacrifice involved. I probably went along anyway. Um, he explained that well, if I try to be successful with this music, they will block me. But no one can stop me from being unsuccessful. So, uh, <laughs> they can't stop me from losing. If I try to make money, they'll, then they'll, they'll, they'll block me. So, but they, no one will stop you from losing money. And he literally ran the orchestra in the red. Wow. You tell him bring 10 people, he bought 15. No, excuse me, he bought 25. Wow. He ran the band in the red. And took the band all over the world. He said, if I try and get my music out there, they will block it. So I'm gonna let them steal it. He said, and my music will be all over the world. Uh, fifth, almost 50 years after his departure, his music is all over the world, and we're still working. And the sunrise is known throughout the world. Wow. So I'd love to hear about the rehearsal process. How would he run a rehearsal? It, was it all rehearsals all the time? I don't know. We have to understand, Sunrise is an insomniac. He did not sleep. Maybe two hours, a little cat nap. Uh, so that meant 22 hours of that day. He's creating. He had so many ideas. 
so much information to impart, it was mind-boggling. You know, you'd sit there for a while until your head would start to hurt with the information he was imparting to you. And he'd be like, oh, I'd go. Oops. I had, oh, I forgot I had to see you. He'd get out of there. People say, um, well, that the members of the band were unbelievers. I've seen some interviews, etc. No, they didn't believe. It wasn't that we didn't believe. His code of discipline was impossible. Only one who could stick to his uh, discipline was him. He was a very special person. He probably wasn't from here. I believe he truly wasn't from here. But for us mere mortals, nah, you do you do the best you could. But no one could live up to those principles. Um, um, nobody in flesh and blood. Um, John and June were were his were his best or his number one disciples. I would say John John Gilmore, John Gilmore June Tyson. Possibly Jack Jackson, but basically, you know, you around when you was around Sonny, you did as Sonora said, and then when you were in your, in your private domain, you 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 lived your life the way you saw fit. You know, um, that's made us different from the what people term as a cult, because in a cult, people just have this dogmatic. Uh, uh, It's the opposite of possessiveness, so I'm running out of words. But uh, they are so caught up in... in Submissiveness, kind of. Yes. Um, and that permeates every aspect of their right. lives. Like I said, Sunrise discipline was impossible. I mean, just one's impossible. All right, let's give you an example. See me here smoking a cigarette. Sunrise told me, you smoke those cigarettes. You take that nicotine and that smoke into your lungs. And then you blow that smoke and that nicotine out of your home. So when you play your saxophone, you're hurting people. And he was dead serious. I'm like, damn, I'm sorry, son. Gotta go. Right. But that's... So, and now I'm a, I'm a real, you know, I was young and idealistic, you know, so I, I'm like, come on, son, Ron. Everybody wants something. What do you want? Let's be for real now. What do you want? He said, I want 10 galaxies, 12 solar systems, and 7 universes. <laughs> and he was looking at mine. He was dead serious. How? Right. He wasn't from here. He was very special. Very, uh, very special. So many people that I've met, you know, Ron and you, and people always kind of tell me that there's stories of strange things happening, kind of spooky things happening, things you wouldn't expect would happen. Oh, yeah. Is there one that's come to your head? Yeah. Uh, like I said, someone had a real... It's just disciplines. For example, if someone was one minute older than you, you couldn't contradict them. Couldn't contradict them. No. You had to be submissive to them. If they were one minute older, you could not 
talk back to them. If they told you something you was wrong, you had to just, because they're older than you. Also, you couldn't speak too positively. Because if you speak too positively, your words go out in reverse and bounce and it comes back in reverse. But you can't speak too negatively because then you put that vibration out there and you make that happen. So, um, I was a little flippant one time with him about something. He said, you shouldn't say that, Noel. And I'm young. Yeah, I'm 20 in my 20s. And he was sitting. I was standing in front of him. And he just looked at me. He was just looking at me, staring at me. And my whole body got tingly hot from the bottom of my soles of my feet to the top of my head. There was this tingle. This tingle. Hot, fiery hot. I was like burning up. And uh, I'm just standing there. I'm like transfixed. So it's, after a while, I'm like, oh, excuse me, I'm, so, I'm sorry, so I apologize. <laughs> I got away from him. I went over to John and Jack. I said, I said, I said uh, hey man. I said, so, so, I said, Sunday, something he didn't like. And my whole body got hot. <laughs> you had the raw fire. That's what I found with the raw fire. Was. The it wrong fire. The raw. The raw fire. The raw fire. That only happened. I only got it once. Wow, 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 wow. I got that once. Yeah, I, I conducted myself in such a way that I never had to go see that again. Wow. I just one thing. Whew. I got one more to share with you. Okay, go ahead. We were playing in, um, I think it was Hartford, Connecticut. It was overcast, terribly overcast. And... Um, so I'm looking at this old cast, you know, I'm a I'm New York charm in my little bebop. So, you know, you make a little quotation based on the, the atmosphere. So I go on, stormy weather in my, in my solo. Right after I did that, it started raining. Buckets. Just buckets. People didn't go nowhere. And we played our set. It was outdoors. We played our set. In the rain. So uh, after the set was over, I think it was like my third or fourth gig with the man. They said, hey, Noel, Sonny mad at you. I said, uh-oh. You better, you, no, you, you, better go, you better go back there. Sonny mad at you. So I went back there. I said, uh, 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 Sonny, I heard you was mad at me. He said, yes, I'm upset with you. I said, well, Sonny, what did I do? He said, you made it rain. It rain. You played stormy weather. I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh. I said, darn. And I realized what he was talking about because I put that in my solo and it did start right. I'm, I'm running like, I'm like, oh, darn. I did that. I didn't know I could do that. Oh, darn. I messed up. I did the wrong thing. So I'm like, I'm sorry, son. I walked away. But I, I wasn't. Um, I was. He considered me kind of intelligent. I, you know, he did. I still used to get headaches listening to him. But um, so about five minutes later, I went back to someone. I said, uh, Sonny, um, excuse me. What should I have played? He looked at me like I was the stupidest person on the planet. Blue skies. <laughs> So, uh, it, we're on break. This is during the break. Right. 
We go for our second set. The second set, I because the band always is playing before a sunrise comes out. So I jump up there. I'm the first one to take a solo. And in my solo, I go, do dee da do do dee nothing but blue sky, do 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 da The rain went, fuck, just like that. Sun came out, we played, we played our set. Wow. And have you heard, seen him use these kind of strange abilities to kind of fuck with people who had fucked with him first? Or like, was that something that happened? Oh, no. No? Sunma would never do that. No? I'll give you an example. I did something, um, I don't know what I did. And uh, I said, oh, don't son, uh, will, will, will you forgive me? Yeah. I, I, I probably, he probably gave me a $100 bill to, to do something I probably spent, kept it. <laughs> spent, spent the whole bill or something. I, I, come on, I wasn't a good guy. Um, I said, I'm sorry, son, will, will you forgive me? He said, I can't forgive you. He said, uh, he was a trumpet player, and um, I was showing him some music, and what I was showing him was, you know, I mean, someone, someone had some really um, different ideas in terms of harmony and usage of dissonance and things, and some musicians who are European trained can't deal with it. It's like, no, it's wrong, and they, and they, they literally go out. He was doing, he was, so he told me a story that he was showing this music to this trumpet player and he got so upset he slapped him yeah, the trumpet player got upset yeah. and, and, and so actually he got so upset about about the about the, the musical ideas someone was showing him he slapped someone and then a little while later or whenever I don't know he came back and asked someone to forgive him and someone said he forgave him and the guy died a week later so he can't. He couldn't forgive anybody. He wasn't allowed to forgive anybody. I heard some story about way back in the day, a kind of racist club that he played, and it was some really degrading thing. And after he left, the place burned down. Probably. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And um, because uh, he took no direct action, he didn't have to. Well, actually, he had. Edo and Jackson take direct action. Um, um. So, do you remember any like times he gave you specific direction on your instrument? Something that's really stuck with you? That thing about about making the rain stop. Because mm-hmm. I've done it since then. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've done it since then. Uh, other than that, he always told me stop trying to play Charlie Parker. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then, at the same time, one time I was practicing um, Scramble from the Apple, and I wouldn't hit the intervals right, he showed it to me. And he always had an alto player in the band who was a child, who was a, uh, a bird sycophant. Mm-hmm. Sycophant. So. Right. So, um, like Marshall says, you took what you needed and what you could use. And it was so... Much. I'm not even going into the, the Egyptology and the numerology and the word and mentality. I drive you crazy because there was so information, so much, so much information. See, he was a he was a scholar. He had he had 
a photographic memory and he had total recall. So he quote the biblical text verse and all that in the page number. You know, um, take a word, break it down to the roots of the word, and then show you how the word is used in this book, in this book, in this book. How the word is used in this sentence here. How the word is used in uh, in uh, colloquially, the way people speak, and then he does the numerology on the word, and then he'll permutate the numerology, and by that time you have a splitting headache because this is this is all this is in the course of about two hours, and he's still talking about that one word, that one phrase, and all the different possibilities of interpreting it and how um, the concept of it is incorrect. Because it's used so on, so on, so on, and it shows you other ways of interpreting it. I mean, there are other people who do things like that, like uh, Frederick Casey Price, or even, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Malachi York, or something like that. But Sun Ra's was so thorough and advanced. That's why people are still studying his lectures, you know. We he'd have as much many people listen to him, or in line for his lecture as he did it would for the performance. It would, I mean, it'd be a whole separate, you know. And these be PhDs and college professors and all that, and then they, you have them spell by. Yes. Fine. Let me know when it's time. All right. I'm learning a lot, man. I'm, I'm yeah. I can't come about that. Yeah. So, to me, uh, seeing the band now, it's amazing because stuff that might have been really challenging to listen listeners when you first joined the band musically, it seems like it, the time is caught up to the music a little bit. Is that you? You feel yeah. that way? Yeah, I do. Um, yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, look, he had he had cats like uh, Grateful Dead and. Parliament, Funkadelic, and uh, it was George Clinton, and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and, and, and other groups like that to expand on, or expound his principles. Right. Uh, and not to mention cats like uh, Threadgill, ACM, um, uh, you know, so there's this. Uh, uh, Coltrane, I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, especially right, Coltrane. Joe, John Gilmore was such an influence of Coltrane. Yeah, he taught him. He uh, introduced him to uh, some counterpunctal ways of, of, of thematic improvisation and some inter intervallic ways of, of developing his improvisation. And then Coltrane took it and ran. And so in between what John Gilmore showed him and what Sunrise showed him, he changed his life and came out with Love Supreme and spent the rest of his life really trying to have his own orchestra, you could say. Because his, his, his whole concept was to try to recreate what Sun Ra was doing. He was to take his music to that plane. And did you, you feel that um, there's also like a, a kind of message that, that sometimes now it's like becoming very popular. Have you heard this concept people call about Afrofuturism? Have you heard? Of course. I mean, he's the guy, right? Of course. He's the creator of it. Um, it's a 
Sunrise. All you got to do is watch Space is the Place. That movie. Was that before your time? Oh, yes. It was done in 1974. But that was a visual and a simplification of what Sunrise was trying to do. When he was abducted by aliens, they instructed him. Remember, Sunrise come from the segregated South. Birmingham, Alabama, when this area, this region was in the throes of apartheid, American apartheid. They call it segregation. It's apartheid, same thing. Um, and the hell that African Americans were going through is indescribable. And so when the aliens took Sunrise to Saturn, they told him, they gave him instructions on how to save African Americans. First thing was to waken them up. And because people think that uh, uh, we are taught that our history in America begins with slavery, it did not. Not all those slaves came from Africa, uh, were captured in Africa. A lot of those slaves were indigenous Americans who were also put into slavery. We were here 2,000 years before Columbus. And because there was a line, a, cur- a current that comes directly from, 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 from uh, Egypt or West Africa over to America. Uh, actually, um, um, the, actually, the Caribbean. But we were here. So first of all, we, we had to recognize the, the true history, okay? Because um, part of the problem of of uh, in terms of inequality, racism, etc., is that people don't know history. You know, it's easy to feel superior to somebody who you've held in chains, and then that's all you know is that they were in chains. It's it's kind of different to, for you to also perceive these people as someone who was here before you got here, who built pyramids not only over in Egypt but over on on American soil. You know, South American soil, the the, the old max of so. So uh, uh, part of his mission was to was to inform and waking up and 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 reeducate or or, or uh, African American people as to who they are. Uh, we are the original Egyptians who were forced by the Romans out of out of Egypt through and sold by and sold. Uh, All right. by, And gracefully. Space is the place. Anyway, that was his mission. Yeah. Now, what happened was, uh, it was a little bit too much for people because they've been indoctrinated. The church has told them one thing, right. the educational system, and then about, and then and so the solution was to go out into outer space. Of course, it was also allegory and metaphor for a space within oneself, but also. Uh, transmolecularization. The, the Egyptians knew how to move themselves from here to there. The ancient Egyptians knew about space travel. We have all of those um, uh, information in our genetic code, which is melanin. Um, so uh, Sun Ra uh, was instructed to enlighten and to save African Americans. And but they weren't ready for it, and they didn't want to hear it. So he said, "Okay, um, y'all, y'all basically didn't want to hear it. So I'm gonna save the world. I'm gonna save the planet. Okay." And um, he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna grab white youth. I mean, what? Grab the white youth. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what he did. And that's why audiences are now. 
now that the, the, they've been, their attention has been, now all of a sudden, now there are young African Americans who are, way, are oh wow, oh wow. Now, now, they, now they're listening. So now there's the, the young people, young African Americans are starting to wake up and, and aware of the genius of summer. All right, thanks for your time, man. More pleasure. We'll keep in touch. All right, now.